<laughs> What's going on? Welcome to the podcast, Into the Mind, where I break down and analyze the characteristics, strategies, and stories of successful entrepreneurs, investors, and high achievers to learn from their mistakes and replicate their formulas for success. I'm your host, Marlon Johnson, former parkour athlete turned real estate investor and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to become a multimillionaire before 30 so that I can teach others how to do the same. Today, my guest is a good friend of mine who's been in the real estate industry for almost two decades. He's done over a thousand deals of all kinds, working as an agent, investor, developer. He has experience being in almost every part of this business and at one point was even the head of an acquisitions team for a hedge fund, which has given him valuable insight to the real estate industry. He's a numbers guy who also can get on the phone and lock up his own deals. And if willing to or needed to, he will actually go out and door knock. His mindset is impressive. His work ethic is unmatched and his resume speaks for itself. He's one of the smartest guys I know in real estate. And he's also one of the most humble guys. So you'll never hear him bragging about anything. So please allow me to introduce you to Dustin Kircher. Dustin, welcome to the show, bro. What's going on, Marlon? Man, I can't believe I'm on this show now. It's a, it's been a, it's amazing, you know. I'm excited. I've been like trying to get you on here forever, man. Like <laughs> the amount of times like I picked up the phone and like have picked your brain for hours and like it just has exploded me. It's like it's just giving me so much momentum. I've appreciated that. And I was like, this guy's a like a genius. Like I need him <laughs> on the show. So I'm like really happy that we're finally making this happen. Well, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, you know, I'm real. Like I said earlier, I'm really just trying to get out of my comfort zone uh, and, and speak a little bit more and try and help more people out there. But before uh, you know, before this year, I really like set a goal. You know, right? I'm gonna reach out and talk to people. Um, but before that, you know, I was just kind of kept to myself. So I'm glad to be on your podcast. This is uh, this is huge. I mean, you got a good following. And you got some amazing guests on your show. So hopefully I can uh, live up to some of these guys. Oh my gosh. I, I know. <laughs> I already know you do. I know you. So I, I'm excited to have you here. I always like to put valuable people in front of my audience. So what I would love to do, if you're up for it, I, I want to dive into a little bit of your origin story, man. Cause like you've got a fun <laughs> one. So it's like, I would love to go back and like figure out like, who was Dustin before real estate and like what got you into real estate? Like what made you go down this route? Yeah. So sorry, my light for some reason just went off. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I, you know, I've always had kind of an entrepreneur mindset. Uh, I just, you know, I always was curious about how things worked. Uh, I would take things apart, try and figure out how, uh, you know, things are made. And I, that comes from my dad. Um, he's, you know, an engineer got the mindset of that. So that's kind of what I come from. Um, but in high school, you know, I, I actually started, um, I was really into old cars. And so I actually went and started working uh, or taking like ROP classes for like sophomore, junior, senior year. I think it was, I took auto tech classes and I thought, okay, well, you know, I want to be a mechanic. Well, I think it was like senior year, um, I got, I was just up and I watched um, uh, some some show and the Carlton Sheets uh, info commercial came on. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that, that hooked me. So I don't know, I can't remember exactly how I got it. I think I, I begged my mom and dad to, to buy it for me. And I read that thing 
probably like three or four times through, you know, no down payment, how to buy houses. And, th- and then I was like, oh my gosh, I mean, this is amazing. So I want to actually, um, you know, start an auto shop and buy real estate and, and do that. And, uh, and then of course, you know, the rich dad, poor dad that kind of came along. And so in high school, I was telling my friends, like, I'm going to be a real estate investor. That's, that's what I'm going to do. Um, I, right after high school, I ended up going to a, a UTI, University Technical Institute, for to be an auto mechanic. I did that for a year. You know, I loved working on cars, my cars. I hated working on other people's <laughs> cars and realized I quickly did not want to do this every single day. And one day I was out. Um, and again, I was like 18 at that time. I was out on my lunch break. I see this guy pull up in a, a nice, like, Mercedes. And I just go up and talk to him. I say, hey what do you do for a living? Right. He's like, actually, I, I own this building. I own a couple other buildings in the town where I grew up in, in Fremont. And I was, and he's like, yeah, I just own these buildings. And I collect rent. And I was like, mm, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, seriously, within a month, I, I left what I was, I left that job being a mechanic. And, um, I went back, I went back to school. I went up to, uh, to Chico and I study business marketing at the same time I started studying real estate. And, uh, I, you know, my, my teacher in one of my cl- real estate classes, she really was helping me out. She was getting me introduced to people in the industry, some investors, some agents and stuff like that. Cause I told her I didn't have plan to be an agent. I didn't, that wasn't my goal. I always wanted to be a developer or investor of some sort. And so she got me connected with an agent uh, that was also an investor. And I interned with them for a, a year. Year went by and then I uh, decided to get my license and I started doing deals on my own. And um, instead of kind of like bird dogging and bringing deals, but uh, my first couple, uh, like seven deals, I think six, seven deals, I uh, just door knocked. And what I did back then was uh, you can actually, back then you could purchase a property and if so I would go knock on these properties where a lot of students lived. And if uh, I would talk to the seller and see if they wanted to sell, I'd then get connected um, with, uh, I would post ads on the, uh, in the, on the campus mm-hmm. saying, looking for student parent investors. So these parents, when their kids go out there to school, they could buy the house, the kid could live in one room and they can rent out the other two and then they'd be cash flowing, right? And so I did that. That's how I did my first seven deals. And then I eventually started working some traditional stuff and, and then finding my first kind of flip and, um, and then just kind of took off from there. Wait, so let me get that straight. So while you were actually like, cause you're still young at this time, you're still like, what, like 18, 19 years old. So, and you're just like going around your college campus, basically like knocking on like, you're like the, your friend's doors essentially. And oh just- yeah. Yeah. figuring out like who owns the property and then you're just like you're basically just flipping houses to your friend's parents yeah pretty like, much yeah I, I think I was like 2021 20, at that time I mean I was a five-year student so uh 2021 <laughs> um and you know I I look back at it and I kind of just laugh because I had the you know the image of like what an agent had to be back then you know nice you know collared shirt you know, and slacks and shoes. And again, Chico out there in the summer can get up in the hundreds. So I just remember knocking these doors, just sweating my butt off, like, and, and having a briefcase 
holding oh her briefcase, so I have to give him a flyer. I look back and it was horrible, um, but it, I got deals right, and, it, and mainly the reason is just because I was always a person to try and find out how I can help somebody and, and find a solution, and just creative different things that you can do. And uh, I really grabbed onto the student parent uh, investor um, niche. Because one, I was a student, I understood that situation. Um, I would connect also with students out there and be like, hey, you, should, you know, if your parents are looking to buy an investment out here, let me know. I'll, you know, I'll be glad to be their agent, you know, at that point. So that's really cool. So I like that because like essentially like that's an interesting way of getting started into it where you found a way to assimilate it into what you were already going on, like what you had going on. It was your life. You were in college right? You found out, I love that. Like you found Carlton sheets, right? And like, you just like devoured that because it already sets you apart from most agents in the sense that you're thinking a little bit more out of the box, which we see right there in your approach. Cause I don't think I've ever come across an agent that targeted their own college campus like that, which is really cool. So you target your college campus, you get some deals, um, under your belt as an agent, essentially representing sellers, helping them buy and sell the properties. How did you begin to then transition over to the investing side, or did you stay, you know, more on the agent side at first uh, for the long term? No, I didn't do the agent side for very long. So what I did was uh, then I teamed up with another investor out there, um, JV is what they call it nowadays. I had no clue what that meant back then. Um, but I, I JV'd with a, a agent investor out there on the first uh, two deals and um, made a quick couple bucks. And I was like, and then I was hooked. And then uh, and I, uh, it was a couple of, uh, eventually I, I did a deal in Atlanta. That was my first virtual deal. So I did a virtual deal a couple of years later from there. And uh, yeah. And then I moved down to Southern California where I'm at now because I live in San Diego uh, and just started flipping properties here and uh, teamed up with the buddy. And uh, yeah. So check this out. Wait, so what year was it when you went virtual and you did that first flip in Atlanta, you said? That was 2008 is when I did that first deal. I, I think I'm it was just, 2008. I'm like just curious for myself to know, because I mean, like I can't, I came up in this industry with like all the tools, all the prop stream, all the like, just all the bells and whistles. Like what was it like trying to flip a house virtually back in 2008? I mean, I, I was scared as hell really to tell you <laughs> the truth. Um, I still didn't quite understand what I was doing. I was relying on a buddy that had uh, what that was out there. Right. And, and he had the construction knowledge. And so, you know, I helped kind of just look at the deal, but it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of hands off for the most part on it. And, and then I realized after that, like, "Mm, that might be a little risky. I'm going to bring this back to where I live. So um, it wasn't until really like five years ago when then I went virtual again to another market. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I I flip virtually right now and like, I, I know it's scary. Like I feel sometimes like out of control in the sense of like, I can't go and physically touch it and like manipulate it and make things happen. Luckily I have a good partner that I appreciate immensely who does go out and do that stuff if need be. So you brought the operation back to San Diego, which I mean, right now San Diego is a pretty expensive market. Was it also expensive back then or was it like day and night different? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's way more expensive now. So, 
I, you know, it was better. It was easier to find deals back then for sure. Uh, and it wasn't as expensive, but, uh, you know, I, I started doing the lipstick on the, you know, lipstick on the pig, right. The just basic lipstick kind of flips. And then I started getting into stuff like adding bedrooms, bathrooms, adding square footage. So, um, the competition's always been tough here. Right. But where I, I didn't do any marketing here. Um, I got a lot of, I got all my business from agents, contractors I work with, uh, CPA I work with, uh, just other people I've connected with in this industry that brought me deals because they know what I did. Um, a big stand of that was I used to be, I, the reason why I moved to San Diego, I was actually moved down here because I was a director of acquisitions for, uh, a large private private hedge fund. And so um, I hired all the, you know, I hired all the agents that was 30, 40 plus agents or something like that and admin staff and uh, project managers and all that. So I made a lot of connections from that because their headquarters was here in San Diego. And then by the time they slowed down and I left, I mean, they have their main business is hospitality, but uh, by the time I left, you know, I had all those connections and I was doing some deals here and there in between that. But after that was like, okay, um, I'm going for it. And this is what I'm going to do. Okay. So we need to dive into that <laughs> for a second, because we I, like on this show, actually, I don't think we've ever had anyone that's actually been inside of a hedge fund, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think we've had people that we've worked with hedge funds. We've sold the hedge funds. We know what a hedge fund is. Some of us have no clue what a hedge fund is. So really quick, actually, can you just for someone that doesn't know, can you give like a very brief, what is a hedge fund? So a hedge fund is really just an, a big institutional buyer. Um, and so they get institutional funding from large banks or whatnot, or uh, investors, and then they go around deploy that capital to buy uh, real estate in all kinds of different niches, right? So the division I helped open up was the, we called it the REO division. And that was buying single family, small multifamily uh, kind of deals. So we mainly focused on buying um, uh, at trustee sale throughout California. And then we bought big bulk tapes directly from the bank uh, all over the country. So in the four years that I was working with them as director of acquisitions, we bought 5,000 plus properties. Wow. Yeah. Holy it was a learning experience, very busy. Um, I mean, it's kind of like if you've seen that movie Boiler Room, uh, <laughs> or, or I think it's, maybe that's the name of the movie, but uh, it was like the Boiler Room during auction time. Oh, man, it was crazy. Like, penny over penny, no, 100, another 100. And, I, you know, we were quickly looking at properties, waiting for our runners to go tell us feedback about the property with pictures and stuff like that. It was crazy. I had, you know, six monitors on my desk just looking at all kinds of different things. It was it was fun, crazy, and um, tons of experience because I experienced pretty much any kind of title issues you could have. Um, but uh, I probably would not do it again. <laughs> Man, I mean, it sounds like that's crazy. Over 5,000 properties. And, you know, like what I like is, you know, what you said, like besides getting the experience, I like I just realized one of the more valuable things that you got out of that, which is what you alluded to earlier, was the relationships. Right, Mm -hmm. because running an operation that large is going to constantly be putting you and your organization in constant contact with title companies, with attorneys, with agents, and you actually recognizing that it wasn't. I mean, I'm curious. Like when you were doing that, did you recognize that you weren't just doing something transactional? That were you actually cultivating those relationships, or did they just begin to almost like organically form 
And then in hindsight, you realize like, oh my gosh, like I, I have these amazing relationships. It kind of just organically did. Cause I, I wasn't thinking, all right, this is the time to branch off or I can work with these people after I, you know, I decide to leave. Cause I, I never wanted to be there long-term. I was, I was, again, I was kind of like, as I came on as a consultant originally. So I wasn't planning on just doing that. It was just, I was so busy. Uh, you know, I paid the bills and stuff, but, um, it wasn't what I I knew I was going to be doing long-term. I I was always going to get back into the investing side myself. And we were doing some stuff, you know, here on the side, but, uh, no, yeah, it kind of all came organically. I didn't pursue it until really I like the last year I was like, okay, this is a good person to have a contact when I decide to leave, you know? And, uh, yeah, that's cool. And so let me ask, like, around what age were you when you were doing this? Um, I'm making you go through, like, the memory banks. (laughs) (laughs) So this was too early, late 2008, early 2009 to 2012 or something like that, I think. Man, I had to be, well, I was 38. I'm 38 now. So I had to be... 24, 25, 26, something like that. Nice. I can't remember. Yeah. Horrible at that math side. Well, you know what? The reason I ask is because, right, like you were in a place where you found out about real estate, right? You were in college and high school. You say, I'm going to be a real estate investor. You become more of an agent at first. You do invest. You go out of state virtual in Atlanta. And then at some point you bring your attention and focus back home where you're working for this hedge fund. You know, you originally came on as a consultant, but then you just moved through the ranks. They realized there was value there, which we're going to also get into like what that value was that they saw in you, but they saw value in you. So you actually came in and worked within their organization. So, you know, being an investor, you know, you could look at it as like, Hey, I'm going to go do my own thing. But here we see you were plugged into another system for a little while um, growing. And I know there's a, sometimes like there's a fight to kind of go out and be totally on your own or to be a part of something where there's a potentiality to grow and have benefit. So I'm curious to know your opinion on, you know, now that you've been through both sides, you know, looking back, would you have done things the same? Would you have tweaked it slightly or would you have, uh, not even gone into what you went through? You know, um, I, I, it was a great experience. I learned so much from it. it. It was invaluable. And I think it's what helped me get to where I'm at now. Right. Um, and where I'm going to go and be, but so no, I wouldn't change anything. Like, Cause at that time it was what was right for me. You know, the, the thing which was kind of amazing to me is, you know, I've always been reserved. I used to be really shy. Um, I didn't want to talk to people. I'm still, I kind of call myself, I'm a functioning, a functioning introvert, right? I love my alone time. You heard Pace and you heard other people, you know, we got property out in Nevada and I go to their cabin there and I just love spending a week with no internet, no cell phone and just unplug. And I'm at one of my happiest moments and when I'm out there, right? So, but I love this is the odd part of it is I love understanding other people's stories too. Right. And I, I love, that's why I love your podcast 
it's a little bit different. You, you go deep into what, why people do things and what uh, a certain way and what got to that point. So no, I wouldn't change anything. Um, but so what got me to this job was, like I said, kind of backtracking, sorry, my mind just goes so many different ways, uh, is I was super nervous, super shy. Um, I connected with this uh, agent in Huntington Beach. Um, I did some internet stuff, worked for them. They paid for a, uh, um, it's called a self-hypnosis program. And so this guy had worked with, um, you know, top Fortune 500 CEOs and stuff like that. And I got to do a full like course with him. Um, It was a six month thing or something like that. Maybe it was three months. And I went through this whole uh, self-hypnosis training to really, I was always afraid to talk to people at a higher level and uh, that I thought they were than me. And so I would never speak up. I never shared my opinion. Uh, I was just very shy. And that was the one thing I wanted to get through and I wanted to work through. So I went through this self-hypnosis and I came out pretty confident. And just one day, um, one of the the partners uh, for this hedge fund um, or not partner, but manager at that time, uh, I said, Hey, you know, I want to do more within this company. And I spoke up and I said, this is what I want to do. This is what I can do, blah, blah, blah. And sure enough, within, you know, a month or so, I was going up in position, got to the point where I was. And I, and I, after that, you know, I, I'm a true believer in, in meditation, self-hypnosis, just reflecting on who you are and what you want to be. And your mind is more powerful uh, than anything out there. So if you say you're going to do it and you constantly think you can do it, you're going to do it. And that's, that's just kind of how I now uh, look at everything in life. Man, I, I love that because ultimately, right? Like from what I heard, right? When you look back at this, you, you see how it wasn't necessarily like the hedge fund, like the hedge fund provided the opportunity, right? Like the opportunity was there in front of you. And then it required not necessarily a specific how, Right. Like it wasn't like, hey, do step one, step two, step three. It required a specific who, which was you. And it required you becoming a different version of yourself. So your environment didn't change, but the who that showed up the next day changed. So then it was able to interact with the environment in a totally different way, which starts to birth essentially the, the version of yourself that you are now and that you're currently continuing to become, which Man, I love that. Like, I had no idea about the self. I don't think we talked about that long, like the last time. Like, no. That's really cool, man. So that's awesome that that essentially you're able to look back now and see, you know what, you would go through it again and that it provided you the space. Because this is a conversation I have relatively often where people will reach out um, when I talk with them and they'll ask, hey, you know, should I quit my job? Like, I feel like I can't do this. You know, I want to go pursue this full time. And, and I just kind of asked them really like, well, what are you doing right now? Like, who are you currently? Mm-hmm. You know, because when you're given more time to yourself, I find that if you're not already someone who's responsible and disciplined, you're going to end up wasting more time. Yeah, I know. Cause I personally have experienced that in my own life. I've wasted a lot of time. I, when I look back and reflect, and if you're able to work with the constraints you have and figure out how to extract the most out of it, ultimately that's going to be the person that's required in order to take things to the next level. So looking at your current situation and figuring out 
How can I maximize what I'm already experiencing currently? Yep, exactly. A hundred percent. I agree. I mean, the stuff working with the hedge fund, you know, it got me really good at building systems and processes because we had to do that in a very fast pace, right? So I was, you know, getting people involved to build out Salesforce, our CRM, um, you know, getting processes to buy property, look at property, evaluate them, all kinds of different systems and processes and dealing with all kinds of different personalities. So I wasn't that before. Like I had to quickly put my mindset, like I am good at this. I can do it. And if I put my mind to it, um, I'm going to do it. And so that helped me take, uh, take that experience and knowledge into what I do now with, you know, the investing out of state and, and a new business I've uh, recently kind of started. So. Yeah. So let's talk about that, right? Because I can imagine that being in the seat where you're running the hedge fund, you're running this team, you're slapping this team together and you're pretty much like the shooting at the hip. You know, there's going to be times where you're making pretty important decisions And I'm going to imagine that you basically don't necessarily have all the facts that if you had more time to think about it, you probably would think, take more time to think, but because you're moving so quickly, you're having to make decisions faster. You know, did that, I guess what I want to know is in the beginning, right? That was probably uncomfortable. And then did that feeling, did you start to get more comfortable with that feeling? Did that feeling change? Did it transform into something else? I'm just curious before we jump into what you got going on currently. Yeah. So uh, yes, it was uncomfortable in the beginning, right? Because now you're the person making the decisions. You know, I I can't, I'm not going to anybody else. You know, there's the partner, uh, but there's nobody else. I got to make decisions and I have to live with the decision that I made. So, right. So I always have to, if it's a tough decision, I take a breather, I think about it and see if, if there's any other thoughts that might come up with in my mind that would choose, would make me decide not to go that route of my original decision. And then, uh, and then I go for it because sometimes if you need to talk to other people more experienced, right. You never have can think that, you know, it all. And that's one of the things I think that's always helped me in my life is I never assume that I know it all and I will never ever know it all. And I'm constantly learning so I don't mind saying, Hey, I don't, I have no, I don't have an ego. So if I say, I don't mind going up to, Hey, Marlon, I don't know how to do this, man. You know, yeah, I'm 17 years in the business, but I don't know how to do this. How do, can you help me out? Or can you lead me to somebody that can help me out? Right. Just putting yourself out there. Who cares if you look like an idiot, everybody's trying to figure it out in this life. Just, you know, move forward and, and, and learn. And that's the only, so. I hope that answered the question. <laughs> that answered the question actually way better than I could have anticipated because I say a daily affirmation. I have a group every morning that we meet up for to work on our mindset. And we have one of our affirmations is I am healthy, wealthy, and wise. And one day I said, you know, I'm curious, just out of curiosity, when we're saying this, what does that mean to everybody? Like what does healthy mean? What does wealthy mean? What does wise mean? And when we got to wisdom, you know, it was interesting as we broke it down, wisdom, a lot of folks think, all right, wisdom, you know, everything, you know, a lot. And the way we actually described wisdom was wisdom was actually knowing that you don't know everything. Wisdom was actually 
knowing how to ask questions. Wisdom was, hey, I understand that I don't know enough, so I need to constantly be learning. I need to be in the state of being a student all the time. So yep. I like that you just said that because by our definition, the definition that we use, that's wise. That's wisdom right there is recognizing I don't know it all and I'm going to go seek the answer. Yes. I love that you apply that. So now you've stepped away from the hedge fund. You you still hold your license though, right? You're still technically an agent, right? Yeah, I still have my license. Uh, I'm actually now a broker. Um, oh. I don't really do much with it, but uh, mainly just family and friends. Um, you know, five to seven deals maybe a year from that selling property. Awesome. Which, but yeah, I mean, it's a good deal selling property in San Diego, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, that's a nice commission just to kind of sit back and house a couple license in yeah. your house. So you're a broker and you are, so you're still in San Diego. You're operating virtually as well. So what's that look like for you? Yeah. So five years ago, I, you know, I stepped out from uh, the San Diego market because I mean, it's hindsight, you know, looking back at it, you know, we should have seen a, we should have seen a dip in the market. All numbers were pointing towards that. And then of course the fed says they're not raising rates and, um, then there's super low inventory and all this other stuff. But I started getting nervous with uh, the margins that I was seeing now on my flips. And so I'm like, right, I'm going to take this out of state. I need to buy rentals. I need to, and I can still flip out there. The, the, I ran the numbers quite a bit. Um, and that was one of the things I did um, when I worked over the hedge fund is just study these new markets that we were in. And so, um, you know, Oklahoma City, is where I went into. And I, you know, I studied that market. There was two others I was looking to go into like Tampa and Toledo, Ohio, I think it was. And um, I started looking at numbers. I said, look, I can buy a flip here. And if I can't flip it, I can keep it as a rental. And there's great rental uh, numbers here. So I, you know, decided to go virtual. And again, because I didn't know it all, I'm reaching out to people like, Hey, how do you do this? And then I got referred to, uh, a buddy now of mine, um, and he, you know, um, Gavin Timms, he actually used to live out in Phoenix, or he just now bought a house in Scottsdale. He moved nice. out for a while, but now he just bought again in Scottsdale. Um, you know, they helped me uh, uh, learn the virtual side of the business because, again, I was just doing all referral business here. Um, and, you know, the funny thing actually is one of the last flips I did in San Diego, I would buy and I looked at the HUD and it said, you know, whoever the person that brought me the property said that $40,000 to this person. I'm like, what the heck is this? They're making $40,000. That's what I'm going to make on this flip. This is crazy. So I reached out to him and that's how I found out about wholesaling. And so I was like, okay, that's another tool I can use it out there. Now I need to learn about the wholesaling. And, um, so I, you know, I started doing some marketing out there, learned the virtual side, hired VA, um, set up my systems and processes and I started getting some traction and uh, you know, the first couple of deals actually I did out there was like a lease option um, and I learned how to do stuff a little virtually, but yeah, I started flipping uh, out there uh, wholesaling, got so many leads that then it led into wholesaling, even though that was not the goal. Look, I know you're enjoying the episode, but you all asked for it and it's finally here. We finally created a space for us to come together every day and have these kinds of conversations. Not just be a fly on the wall and listen, but actually be in the room talking to one another, throwing ideas back and forth about mindset, business, entrepreneurship, 
growth, the books we're reading, the conferences we're going to, the conferences we're hosting, everything under the sun that has to do with entrepreneurship. You name it, we're talking about it. That's right, MorningMindsetCoffee.com. Every day, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Eastern, we're getting together with entrepreneurs from all over the world so that we can grow together. You heard it a million times over. Your network is your net worth. So for $1, you can get into a room that will change your life. What are you waiting for? MorningMindsetCoffee.com. I'll see you in the morning. Now back to the episode. (laughs) Nice. I like that. I mean, that's a good problem to have, though, right? When you're talking to... Because essentially, once you turn on a marketing machine, you know, and like I realized this in my own business, where it's like when business was doing good, that's when there was the most amount of marketing happening in some area, whether it was through social media, whether it was direct to seller, right? Because it just provided more opportunities. And then the more tools I had in my tool bag to convert those opportunities, I just, you can see more deals, you can see more things that can be done. So I like that you went out there for one purpose and then you, you learn about this thing wholesaling through looking at your HUD statement, which geez, like it could be such like a painful thing to sometimes look at your HUD statements when you're buying from wholesalers. I just like did that the other day when I was like (laughs) just kind of organizing some paperwork and I'm looking and I'm like, wait, we paid her $20,000. I was just like, you know, and I'm happy for to make, have people make money, but I was just like, bro, we could have negotiated this deal down. Like why did this is a little deal in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It still worked. The numbers still worked for us. Yeah. So you go into the virtual market, you start wholesaling. And, you know, what, what was your experience with wholesaling? Like, did you like it? Did you hate it? Are you like indifferent? Yeah. So kind of step back a little bit. So right when I got to the market, it was just myself and I started getting some traction. Um, and so I, my kind of check and balance out there when I was going to go buy a property to flip was, you know, I had an agent and I hired uh, just a runner. And so, I, you know, have them look at the property, the agent, not knowing who the runner was, and then have the runner. And so they would coordinate back and forth and tell me, yeah, this is what they, what they thought of the house because I wanted two opinions. Right. Mm. And, um, but then I started getting some traction and I, and I reached out to buddy Gavin. I said, Hey, look, I think I'm actually going to go full time doing this out in Oklahoma um, and you know, if I, if I hire a project manager, by t- I was working out the numbers by the time I hire a project manager, I'm probably going to give up, uh, 40 to 50% of, uh, profit anyways. So do you know anybody that's in this market that is, you know, looking to expand? And he, uh, introduced me to uh, my partner. And so then we, you know, you know, did the whole dating phase for a while and then, you know, did some testing on marketing and, um, did a flip and, uh, um, yeah, within that first year, uh, we got so many leads. So then we started wholesaling and we started quickly doing like 35 deals a month and it was not intended, but we just, I built, like I said, I can, I build out the processes and systems easy. And at that time, you know, me and him are both on the phone and, and he already had experience in real estate. He was, he owned some rentals, had done flips, worked for a developer. And so both me and him are on the phone closing up deals. And we're like, holy cow, this is crazy. And, you know, at the time, then, you know, six VAs later, and then we hire a leads manager and an acquisition manager. And then we got to a point where like, what are we doing? This is not what we wanted to do. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then, you know, it's to fast forward to today, it's, you know, um, kind of doing our own thing. It's still doing some stuff out there, but, 
I, I really, I opened up a, another business really just to focus on um, doing these creative deals. Cause again, it brought back my passion and flipping and creative deals is my passion. The wholesaling, I, I can, I great, there's great value in it. Right. And it provides a lot of value. You can make good money. Um, you can find better deals sometimes, but my heart wasn't in it and never really was. So, and same thing with my partner. So we had this discussion over the last year and decided to kind of stop on that wholesaling. And you know what? I'm happy to hear you say that. Like, really, I'm happy to hear you say that because this is something that I think everyone has to have like that coming. It's like the coming to Jesus talk, right? With themselves where you figure out what are you doing and why are you doing it? And what's the lifestyle you want to gain? Right. You know, I, I do believe in necessary evils sometimes where it's like, Hey, you know, sometimes you do what you have to do in order so that you can do what you want to do. However, making a time, making it a point to check back in and reanalyze because it is easy to get caught up in the loop. And in your case, right, when you're caught up in it, you know, and I don't know your numbers. I, I haven't gone in and looked at your books, but you're doing, you know, 30 deals a month that I have to imagine that you're making money, that it's at least a profitable business. Uh, I'm not, th- I'm not, not 30 deals, three to five deals. Oh, three to five deals. Okay. No I was way. Say, like, yeah, for a second, too, I was going to say, like, Dustin, how have you never told me you're doing 30 deals a no, month? No, no. Those are some like <laughs> insane numbers, but even three to five deals, right? So, you know, that's, that's good. That's profitable. Um, unless you're just running some crazy marketing overhead that is just like, you know, well, that was the thing is like, you know, in San Diego, it's very expensive to live. Right. So Mm -hmm. three, five deals sounds sexy. Right. But with our overhead and, and not controlling the cost too much on that, we're spending marketing and, you know, doing three deals. Great. That pays the bills for the company, but, you know, pays, uh, put some money in or pays my bills. But I'm not putting money aside. So we had to do five deals. And this is where the struggle came about, right? Every time we wanted, and you probably heard me talk about this before, but every time that we wanted to keep expanding, um, we, you know, put more money into marketing to get to consistently doing, say, five to 10 deals or seven to 10 deals, uh, an acquisition manager would leave, right? And so then we have to go back in. I have to jump back in onto the acquisition side, or my partner needs to jump back in. And we can't put more money into marketing because then it's just going to waste. We're already, you know, exploding at that point with leads. And so, you know, that was the constant struggle with us. And I, and that was kind of one of the reasons I like, why are we doing it this way? We, so, you know, it's, it's true though. It's a lifestyle um, choice. I know I've had uh, Ricky Morgan on this show and he and I talked about that as well, where, you know, they're doing well for themselves. Him and his partner, Steve, they're doing well, you know, at the end of the year, they're usually taking home about 400 between the two of them. Um, they're netting about 400 a piece, um, which is fantastic. Um, and he said, you know, we could push it to the point where the business is netting a little over a million, you know, but that little extra to push and to make more money said the amount of stress that would come back into our life, it would actually disrupt the lifestyle. And mm-hmm. we got into this business to create a specific lifestyle, not just necessarily to chase and make as much money because if the money is now taking away from the lifestyle, is it worth it anymore? And having that honest conversation and that honest reflection, because the rest of the world is going to start congratulating you and telling you how amazing and how awesome it is. But if it doesn't feel awesome, why are we still doing it? You know, 
So I like that you start getting back to your roots now that you're getting back to your roots of creative financing and fix and flip. So is that now starting to focus back in the uh, the San Diego area or is that still virtual or is it a little mix of both? Yeah. So the flipping um, and this, and it's funny. I mean, this is just, you know, I've been talking about making steps for the last year, but uh, or so eight months or something like that, but really like over uh, the holiday breaks, it was like, okay, hundred spent, I'm all in, I'm doing this. So I'm going to flip properties in Sacramento. I'm going to do some in San Diego and, and then expand from there to like two other markets. Um, starting off with that, that's the flipping side of the business, which is going to be completely separate from the uh, creative side. Then on uh, the last couple months, four months, I've started a business called REI Deal Closers. Um, so REI Deal Closers.com. And basically what I'm doing is I'm working with other wholesalers, other investors, you know, uh, and working their leads that need to be done creatively. So they don't make sense as a wholesale. They don't make sense as a flip. And I'm doing that nationally. I mean, I still have a certain criteria, like it's got to be in a population of 50,000 plus. And if it's not, it's got to be an Airbnb town, you know, stuff like that. But mainly focus on that because I found I really just love working those, those deals. Right. I mean, and I'll still do some wholesale stuff here and there. If it comes along, it's not like I'm like, oh, no, I'm not going to do wholesaling, but I re- I'm just focusing on that creative stuff. And so again, building out the systems and processes to, to, uh, have this expand a little bit further and, and reach more people. That's really cool because I've seen you like just one, I've seen you underwrite deals, right? I've seen you do it live for people where you're like, Hey, you know, just bring me your problems, bring me your deals, bring me where you're stuck. I've watched you do it for sub two students. I've watched mm-hmm. you do it for like just so many of them and seeing how your mind creatively comes up with these solutions and how you, just because of your experiences too, you know, different things that can and can't be done. And you just, you think a different way. You know, I think yeah. a lot of people like they hear creative finance and they think just like sub two, it's like, there's so many different ways to chop up a deal to make oh, yeah. it work and to problem solve. And it really does take a creative mind, you know, cause you only know what you know. So to actually be able to plug into a brain like yours that has had the opportunity to see so many transactions and to be able to touch and be a part of so many different transactions that's really valuable. That's invaluable. Yeah. I mean, it, again, just, you know, I, I did my first creative deal, lease option or whatever, um, six, seven years ago. Right. And then I started doing some seller financing and then seller financing with wraps. And then I tried to learn some sub two stuff and kind of fumbled through and never went through on that. And then, you know, uh, joining uh, pace and, and then the sub two and learning how he's doing it which is kind of just like, oh my gosh, this guy <laughs> talking about creative genius. There you go. Um, you know, I did Joe McCall's lease options. So I, I take things from other, from a lot of different ways and try and put it in my own format, right. And find out, okay, what's the best way to do it? Because um, nobody knows it all. No one uh, coach knows it all or, uh, or mentor. And so you have to just get different opinions, but um, I can tell you, that, you know, with Pace and the Sub2 crew and all that. And uh, it's, it's been amazing learning what, how he's doing it and how everybody else is doing it, you know, so. Yeah, honestly, I actually learned more from being in Sub2 because you were a part of it. Because during the Zoom calls, you would ask some amazing freaking questions. 
And so it's like, that's how I learned. Like I was just like, oh my gosh, this is like being in school, but actually being in school with people that care versus being in school with like, I used to be the only one asking questions. And then like to hear you ask questions, to hear like Sabina asks questions, to hear Matt Simmons asks questions. Like all of us were just like learning yeah. so at such an accelerated rate because the conversation was live and engaging with one another. So yeah, I definitely recommend for people to plug in with you if they need help. That's cool. Like I didn't, I actually, we didn't talk about this last time. I didn't know that you um, had turned it into an official business. So that's really cool. Yeah, I was been playing around with it, testing it out, seeing how I can handle it. And now it's out to the point where I'm getting overwhelmed. So I need to bring on acquisition managers and stuff like that and, and, and dispo side. So, you know, I've had a lot of good conversations uh, over the last uh, two months of people that are kind of on that business, but more on the wholesale, but how they're doing with the JV stuff. And now I just need to figure out how to format that into creative deals. Cause that's going to be our main focus. Like I'm good at pitching anything t- creative in terms. I understand how to underwrite them. And so now I need to get people on the same page to be able to help more people out there. Cause I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that need the help with, and there's a lot of money to be made for people that think they have just these leads that are not going anywhere. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're spot on. I'm working a creative deal right now. That was brought to me as I was waking up from a nap yesterday. Um, you know, it's like, and the woman, like her biggest challenge is she wants to avoid capital gains. And the the wholesaler was like kind of lost when she said that. I was like, what are capital gains? Cause like, that's just not the way they, yep. they're just not taught to think about any of the other things. They don't talk, think about the holistic view of the seller. Yeah. So I like that, man. So essentially that's kind of what it sounds like is down the rabbit hole for 2022 um, for you to, to expand this business. Do you have anything else on the map for yourself for 2022 or is the focus for now going to be to, to really expand just the, the fix and flip business for now? And then also the, um, you know, working with everybody, uh, being able to be, be the creative guy for individuals. Mainly those two things. I also am part of a, a startup, uh, another company, uh, that's, had its ups and downs uh, for the last couple of years with fortunately passing of our CEO who's my, uh, one of my partners. And, um, but now we're back on it. We're going to push that. I can't really talk about that deal because we've got some NDAs and all that to <laughs> go through, but that will be the other thing that um, I'll be working on. So that, and then, I mean, just the flipping and then really expanding this creative stuff. So. Yeah, I love it. It's going to be a busy year for you then. Well, I do want to be respectful of your time. So check this out, right? I always have, um, let me actually pull this up. It's funny. I had like a handful of questions that I wanted to ask you, man, but we just, <laughs> we got into the conversation and you're like, like I said, you're one of my, my favorite brains to pick. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I mean that, man. It's awesome. So these are two of the questions I like to ask all of my guests um, at the end of our shows. And these two like, I just, I like them because one, it lets us really start to dive into your mind a little bit. And I'm always curious as to people's answers. So I like reading a lot. You know, I believe leaders are readers and, you know, note takers are money makers. I truly believe these things, you know, like when I listen to audio, I'm sitting there, I always have a pen in hand and I always have a book very close by me for yourself. I know you mentioned rich dad, poor dad earlier, so we can't use that book again. Um, but can you name at least two other books that have been 
paradigm shifts for you. It could have been earlier on, or it could even be closer to now, like just books that you read. And it doesn't even have to be business related, but they caused a mental shift and your mind never quite went back to being the same. Yeah. And so I'm a book reader too. And the funny thing is I was not a book reader in high school because it didn't interest me, the stuff I was reading then. Right. Unless it was history. I do like some history. Um, so one of the things I think kind of early on was, uh, Robert Allen, um, it was no money down for the nineties. We even know this was in early 2000. Um, but his other one, I think it was called one minute millionaire. Yep. Um, that really kind of, uh, had an impact on me. The other one I would say that was right there was, um, the traveler's gift. I don't think a lot of people have read that book, but it's, it's super cool. Cause it also deals with like history and it's all about this one decision that somebody made that changed the path of history. That's a cool one. I never heard of the traveler's gift. Yeah. That was recommended to me by uh, a friend um, long time ago, whenever, but uh, that was one of the books that was just like, what I do today, what decision I make today is going to affect what happens tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, whatever it is. And so that really, really uh, impacted me. And then on top of that, like every year, I mean, I read not, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a whole lot, not compared to a lot of people, but I, I just got into Audible. I actually just finished my first Audible. Everything I've been, Audible, bro. <laughs> I, well, I, I love like looking at the words and seeing the words. Um but I usually would read like 12 books a year. That was kind of my thing. Uh, but one of those books a year had to be something on psychology, improving yourself. And so the last book that I just read that I was really amazing was uh, Psycho Cybernetics. I had a feeling you were going to say that. Like, that <laughs> book, I was like literally thinking, I'm like Maxwell Malt, Psycho Cybernetics, like such a good book. Yep. So that, that was one I'm like, wow. Of all the kind of um, psychology books and mindset books that I've read, that was that one really kind of just stood out to me and just made you again realize how powerful your mind is, and what you think and you can do truly is what you can do. And I've been limiting myself; like I'm still I'm not where I want to be in life, nowhere near it. So now I'm just determined to to get there. I I love that, you know, and like, I want to first off say thank you for sharing that. I want to say for the people that are listening to this podcast right now, like you are working on your mind right now, just by listening to this kind of conversation, engaging in this sort of conversation. If you've been listening from beginning till now, that's a sign that your mind is hungry for more being entertained by growth conversation, stimulating conversation, inspiring stories. So keep that going keep feeding it this you know i'll share with you that even just earlier today i actually for the very first time just hired my first high performance coach right because i recognize the importance of you know i'm always working on my mind and i also recognize just like you i don't know everything i have blind spots i still i caught myself thinking last night i'm still limiting the way i think i'm limiting the rate of growth that i believe is even possible so it's like well you know, I got to practice what I preach. I believe everyone should get coaching. I believe everyone should get mentorship. I believe everybody should go and be a part of different circles that are actively growing you. Hence me living in Arizona now, me just getting out here a few months ago, you know, just putting yourself in the environment to grow. 
So I love that. So cyber, Cycle Cybernetics, uh, No Money Down by Robert Allen and One Minute Millionaire. And then also The Traveler's Gift. I'm, that's a new one to me. So I'm getting that book today to see what that's all about. Nice. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I've been uh, blessed and um, just with my, so my aunt is a business coach. And so she, as a young age, she always would just give me these books that just made you think, right? Like Rich Dad, Poor Dad was from her and uh, man, so millions of thanks to her for leading me on the path I am now. And uh, she just, she's a wealth of knowledge. And you know, of course my parents see that with their, their different personalities. You know, I get the analytical mind from my dad and I get my, my mom's mind with, I just want to help everybody and do it. And, you know, so combining those two together, it's like, yeah, so. Uh, sorry, I have to give a shout out to you. <laughs> yeah. Man, no, it's amazing. Like, you just made me think and reflect. I'm like, yeah, no, I definitely picked up traits from both my parents. And like, it's funny because I'm like, my dad is, uh, he's a funny guy, interesting guy. Um, You know, he's cause just like, he could work all day long and just like get caught up in the work. And I'm like, all right, I definitely, I have access to that trait, which can be a positive and a negative thing. Like Luciano has seen me put myself in this room at seven o'clock in the morning and not leave until about seven o'clock in the evening. He's like, <laughs> did you even go to the bathroom today? I'm like, no, I, oh, I did it. Yeah. I, I was <laughs> here the entire time. Um, but I like it. And at the same time for my mom, you know, to your point, I, I learned my social skills. I learned the go out and speak to people and tell them what you need or what you want. You're not going to get anywhere. My grandma taught me the same thing. So I love that. So I want to ask you this final question. And what I'm excited for, actually, because I think of many of my guests, some of them have no clue this question is coming. But I think uh, you've heard from, you know, being uh, listening to some of the episodes in the past and then also even being there when I interviewed Zach, um, this question asked one of my it is absolutely my favorite. In fact, I plan to write a book that will be accumulation of everybody's answers. So just so you know, your answer is probably <laughs> going into a book. Um, you know what? I want you to imagine that tomorrow you wake up. And as you wake up, you are a blank slate. You forget everything. You forget the 17 or 18 years of real estate knowledge. You forget the, you know, high school. You forget Carlton Sheets. You forget the books you've read. You forget the the reprogramming of your mind. Like just totally, totally blank. Now, as you begin to blink your eyes into consciousness, you're not afraid. You're not freaking out. You know, there's no immediate questions to answer. No one's asking you for anything. Your cell phone's not calling. You begin to have a thought. And as this thought comes to you, you just accept it. Like it is just true. It is 1000% true to you. You don't, you have full faith. There's no doubt about it. And that thought now begins essentially the rest of your life going forward. Like it's just the catalyst for everything else to come what would you ideally want that first thought to be hmm, you know i i now i remember you answer asking this question like play for god but um my first thought would be do what makes you happy because um, there's a lot to that like you know being an entrepreneur is not for everybody and it doesn't have to be for everybody we you know, you could be completely happy in your nine to five. And then you have your, your stuff that you do after work. You could be completely happy as an entrepreneur 
even if you're not making, you know, you're just making enough to pay the bills, but you, you got your free time, you get to do what you love. Right. So to me, I think happiness is probably the most important thing in this world. Like, and, and it has to be your happiness, right? Also, you know, as long as it's, you know, legal and it doesn't harm other people, <laughs> um, your happiness is all that matters. That's why, like, when I see people just, just doing their own thing, dressing like, to me would be no way I dress like that. I, you know, whatever, do whatever. And I'm like, good for them, man. They're, they're being them. They're being happy. That's, that's all that matters in this life, really. It doesn't matter how much money you make and what you do. Just be happy. Do what you want to do. Like I said, one of my, my happiest thing that I do when I feel the happiest is when I'm with my family, my two kids, my dog, out in Atlanta, Nevada, there's no one around. We're in a, in a small little cabin, and I, and I could just turn off all the noise and just think. Um, and I, you know, it, I'll put. I never. I don't tell people this, but sometimes I'll go out there and I'll just sit by myself and I'll like get a tear because I'm just so happy. Like, so if everything, if I had nothing, I can just move out there and I'd be happy. Man, <laughs> I I love that. Like Dustin, seriously. Like it's funny because like when people answer these questions, like I like start getting like, oh man, like either that's the first time I heard that, or like that's my favorite answer now. Like you just like you just I don't know who you knocked out, but like you just like came in there and like you just slid into the top five because <laughs> I think that's one of the most true things. It's like, and I love that you actually took the time to express, you know, like discover your version of happy. Because yep. so often I've seen people do it. I've just, I've seen it so many times where they chase after a version of happy, but it's not mm-hmm. their version of happy. It's somebody else's. It's the happiness that they were taught that they associate the, the, the dictionary version of happiness, if you will. And it's just like, yeah, but it's not bringing you joy. So if it's not bringing you joy, why are you still going for it? Yep. You know, exactly. Exactly. So I, I like that a lot, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm not tied to real estate. Like if it comes to a point where I'm just not happy and I'm not enjoying it, I'm going to just do something else. I mean, but at my moment in the 17 years I've been in it, I've enjoyed it. So it I love that. <laughs> I love that. So, I mean, so Dustin, now people have been listening to you for like, I don't know how long we've been going. I think we've been going for like an hour and <laughs> I'm sure like, they're just like, yo, this guy is freaking awesome. He's rad. And they want to connect. How can they connect with you? Like, how, how do they find you? Especially if they're in real estate and they like heard like, oh, he does creative deals as well. Like how, how should people reach out to you? Yeah. So uh, Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, is just at Dustin Kircher, Facebook. I think it's Dustin Kircher, REI. You know, I, I don't go on social media a whole lot. Um, it's only really like two groups and, and, you know, sub two is one network, REI network is the other one. And, um, but yeah, you can reach out there and if you, you know, you have deals that you, you know, need help with uh, on the creative side or even just kind of push over line. Um, reidealclosers.com is the uh, website and the email if you want to reach out to someone on the team is info at reidealclosers.com. I am highly, highly, highly recommending Dustin. Um, guys, like people reach out to him, whether it's real estate related, whether it's at this point, like you heard what he said about reprogramming and cause I'm actually going to talk to you later about like the hypnosis as well. Like that to me is wicked cool. 
and I've always like wanted to, uh, to talk about that and utilize that, you know, but I'd recommend reach out to Dustin, um, bring him deals. If you have, see how you guys can work together and partner on it. He is a wealth of knowledge. Like I've said, I've picked his brain so many times. You're actually the reason that I was able to hire my first VA and put a system in place. And that got my business from doing, you know, one business, every one deal, every 45 days to doing two to three deals per month in my market. So I appreciate that immensely. And I want to say thank you for coming on the show today. Like it has been an absolute blast. I'm glad to know your story even further and deeper. And I definitely look forward to having you back on the show because I want to dive even deeper into more of the more of the mindset as well. Like, you know, we dove into your business today and I want to dive even deeper into your mindset next time. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I can't wait to hang out with you again in Phoenix, sunny Phoenix, for sure. And I can't wait to see your uh, best New York Times bestseller with uh, all these quotes or whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. All right. So everyone, make sure you go connect with Dustin on IG. Make sure if you like this episode, you give it a share. And I will see you all for the next episode of Into the Mind. Okay, guys. So I really hope you enjoyed that interview. Once again, I ask that if you receive any value at all, I mean anything, if one thing stood out to you, leave a comment below. Let people know what that thing was. Let us know what it was. We do read all of the comments and absolutely share this with a friend. That is how we help each other, okay? The best thing you can do is pass on knowledge and information that's helping you grow. Send that out to your friends. Help them grow. Build your network and build your power team. Let's all get this together. So I want you guys to click that share button, click that like button, subscribe. Make sure you're here for the next episode. And remember that the greatness is already inside of you.